How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Jane Cahoon and Chris Warnowski are back in the house after being away for part or all of last week. Welcome back. Hey, nice to be back. Me too. Thanks. We're missing Laura Johnston this week, but we'll get by with the three of us. This week in the CLE, the news podcast from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer, I'm the editor, Chris Quinn. Let's get started. Is it possible that Governor Mike DeWine will issue a statewide mask mandate after saying his strategy was to go county by county? Jen Cahoon, we've talked about the whiplash he's given us. He started out by saying he couldn't fathom making this a local rule, that it had to be statewide. Then deep into the pandemic, he switched to a county by county approach. And now it sounds like he might be reverting back to a statewide approach. What's going on here? Well, uh, he was on Meet the Press on Sunday and he told Chuck Todd that he would not rule out enacting a statewide mask mandate. But I think part of this is because so much of Ohio's population is now under these county by county rules because, you know, they involve the um, most heavily populated urban counties. So, you know, it's something like 60 percent of the population. So perhaps he feels that uh, it might as well be statewide. But but you're right. It's another case of of whiplash here. Uh, another change in approach, apparently. I, do you do you get the feeling that maybe this is about uh, the idea he hasn't been taking bold steps that Seth Richardson did a did a really decent analysis. A lot of people uh, sent nice notes about it. Some not so nice uh, <laughs> about how in his speech last week, he created this big moment that I'm going to give a speech about the coronavirus and everybody tunes in. And all it was was a kumbaya cheerleading speech with no substance Seth pointed out that the leader, the bold leader we saw in the first couple of months of the pandemic seems gone. And all of a sudden on Sunday, he's talking about, yeah, I might I might issue a statewide order. My team is looking at it. Do you think that the the criticism he's getting fairly broadly? I mean, Twitter was brutal about the line after that speech is getting to him and he's realizing that he needs to do something. I mean, in the end, he's talking about how we're a month away from being uh, Florida and Arizona if we don't do something and yet he's not doing anything except pleading with people to wear masks, which hasn't worked. So is this something where he's going to take a bold step? I I think you might be onto something. I mean, I feel like up until now he's been just hoping and expecting people are going to listen to, to all of these pleas, you know, without him doing anything substantive, but um, you know, people just, he seems to be kind of flailing around, I think. And, and people really, as you said, it was brutal on Twitter. You know, I mean, I was, <laughs> I was away last week and I thought, 
once I heard he was making this address, I thought, oh no, I'm going to miss this monumental, you know, announcement. And it was like, what? Nothing. Yeah, my, you know? <laughs> my son lives in Michigan and he, he was talking to us about how brutal the social media was because he created the event, making it sound like it would be something. And then it was just a big, you know, Hey, everybody look out for each other, please wear a mask. And that's not working. I mean, that's just yeah. not working. So if, if what, what's that definition of insanity, keep doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different outcome. Well, you know, begging and pleading with people to wear masks is not working. So why does he expect a different outcome? Uh, and we, I think, you know, as Seth pointed out in his analysis, DeWine's approval ratings are really good. So why doesn't he just do something decisive like he did in, in the beginning that, you know, the public seemed to be on his side, but now he's starting to alienate people. Well, they were good, I think, because of the leadership he showed at the beginning of this thing. But we're getting we're getting out of control here. I mean, the cases, the numbers are staggeringly high. You're starting to see the hospitalizations and even the deaths start to creep up. So so what is he doing to to get at it? We've talked about how they're, they've got contract tracers all over the place asking people who who you were with. How did you get this? You would think that by now they have the data they need to be very specific about where they aim their efforts. They know or should know how it's spreading. Why aren't they taking steps to deal with that specifically? We're trying to get that data from them. I think it'll be difficult to do so. I think I think there's some Chris something Warnowski. to be said about yeah. This is Chris Warnowski. I think there's something to be said about you saw some really brutal polls uh, related to the president come out over the weekend, and it specifically related to his handling of this. And I think. I think the tide is turning a little bit on how much attention we're we're sort of paying to the anti-mask crowd, which I think is still pretty much a minority, um, but still gets an outsized amount of attention from both the media, through social media, through all the videos and everything that people are posting of, you know, people throwing hissy fits in grocery stores and department stores. And, and I think what, I think what people and and a lot of political leaders are starting to wake up to is that, you know, masks and plans and, you know, having broader ideas about how to deal with this are probably a lot more popular than kowtowing to this very vocal minority of people who are still screaming about not wearing masks. And, and, and I think, you know, the idea of, of placing restrictions is becoming a little easier for people like Mike DeWine to swallow as other States are sort of following like, Except, except Chris, you, oh, it, it, it's not enforceable. I mean, you can you can put in a mask rule like we have, and you end up with thousands of complaints to a hotline that nobody can can get to. So it gets back to some of the things we've discussed in the past. Would you be better off incentivizing? He is using the promise of fall football. He's he's got all the players and the athletes and the coaches out saying, please wear masks because if we can get this under control, we can have fall football. So Doug Maurice, our our sports columnist, had a interesting interview with him where he hopes that'll do it. But but I get back to he knows or should know how this is spreading. Why not focus if it's in bars, focus on bars. If it's in backyard barbecues and things like that, figure out a way to get that message across. How is it spreading in Ohio? Thousands of people are getting it. Where are they getting it? 
and focus on that because a mask order what what will it mean really the right. people, but again, but again people he are going to wear them or wearing them but but he also has to consider the political implications of doing this stuff you know and we can look at it through the prism of health and wellness and economy but you know you and i don't have to run for office and so you know he's he has to walk that tightrope of of you know also appeasing an electorate and making sure that he doesn't rank you know rank the party and he has to make sure that he's complimenting the vice president and their and the federal you know i mean he's 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 juggling a lot of different you know things that that he has to do as a politician okay. and I think, but you're right i you know i think it's time to start looking at maybe some some stricter restrictions on the cur the curve is looking bad and so yeah, it, it, really bad. <laughs> doing nothing means the curve will continue to look bad you're listening to this week in the cle is ohio finally cracking down on the bars and nightclubs that have been flouting the state's social distancing rules and other coronavirus requirements this took a while to get going we kept seeing pictures of the the, the bars where it was most brazen uh, and finally chris warnowski we have people out doing something about it. Who are they and what are they doing? So we had a story on Friday from Annie Nikoloff, uh, and she she basically explained that four bars in Put-In Bay, uh, Adventure Bay Park Hotel, Splash Swim-Up Bar and Pool, and uh, the Put-In Bay Resort all, all uh, received citations, as well as a popular Mexican restaurant called Luchita's over on 117th in Cleveland, we're all in this pool of maybe about a dozen businesses that were cited by the state for safety violations. And this is the issue is related to their liquor permits. So the state is now sending people in to places that they receive complaints about to do like in-person investigations. Um, and then what happened was the next day we learned that the state agents had also witness violations at Dante's Inferno and Backyard Bocce and Forward Flats Nightclub on the East Bank of the Flats and Club Paradise, uh, a gentleman's club in the warehouse district. They also received citations. And then on Sunday, we learned that Club Paradise received a second citation over the weekend when uh, and they received a misdemeanor summons. So we're starting to see these these state agents go into these these bars and restaurants and places that that are are that I think we are seeing on social media the things that people are complaining about so well so we've we're talked going to see how this process works well we've talked about how we need some concrete steps we need some bold mm -hmm. moves so so this is one going out to the bars and issuing citations that carry some the threat of losing your liquor license and big costs I, you, you have to think that that would hit the other bars and and scare them into complying. Oh, they may show up at my place of business. I better do what I'm supposed to do. So if it is spreading in the bars, maybe this will help help reduce it. It'll be interesting to see how those hearings go and what kind of iron hand they have. Uh, they said they're going to do those hearings virtually, right? Right. You know, we'll get a sense of whether they're going to be, you know, a, a slap on the hand and say, you know, do better next time, or if they're actually going to met out some punishment to these these businesses um and you know i mean i guess a lot just sort of depends on how they respond to this i you know i i i'm, I'm eager to sort of see how this plays out you know it, it's kind of that you know i don't know if you ever worked in retail but they used to 
always do this kind of secret shopper thing where they would tell you, oh, we have somebody coming in and you better be on your best behavior because they're, they're looking at your performance. Well, now, you know, these secret shoppers are going out and making sure that, you know, these bars are, 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 you know, following the rules and, you know, making sure that people aren't gathering together and, and being irresponsible and spreading deadly, deadly virus. Okay. You're listening to this week in the CLE. How does Ohio Governor Mike DeWine think he can use the state's obsession with football to get people to willingly wear masks? This is a novel approach, Jan Cahoon. Asking and begging people to wear masks hasn't completely worked. We have mandates in, in a bunch of counties not necessarily working. Maybe football, huh? Doug Maurice, our <laughs> sports columnist, wrote about this over the weekend. What's the strategy here? Well, Doug talked to the governor who who really sees this as a great unifier since liberals and conservatives alike, you know, live and die with their sports teams. So he really sees this as a way for Ohioans to find common cause by kind of dangling the fall sports season in front of people and translating that to, you know, hey, wear a mask, take social distancing measures and Maybe we'll get to have football. This this was launched by Lieutenant Governor John Husted, who you might know was a high school and college football star. And, you know, sports means a great deal to him. And he 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 knows how important it is for high schoolers and and for people who are devoted, you know, professional sports fans and college fans. So he uh, it's it's like a public awareness campaign called I Want a Season. And so if you go on social media and search for that hashtag, you'll find all sorts of, you know, um, entreaties to, you know, let's come on. We want we want a season. Let's let's get our act together. But the idea here, and this is what is intriguing, is to use all of those high school players, all of their parents, all of the coaches who are spread out throughout the state as your messengers. That the players will be out saying, please wear your mask. Please wear your mask. I want to play. Don't you want to see me play? That's, that's not a bad strategy. You know, it's, a, it's, it's instead of the hitting people with a stick, it's the carrot. And, and your ambassadors are people who are pretty well liked in the community. I, I don't know if it's going to work, but I, I do have to salute them for, for trying it. I don't remember it being presented in quite this way when Houston talked about it. It, it seemed like it was yeah. a lot of mush to me back then, but reading Doug's piece, it's like, Oh, oh I get it. That's not a half bad idea. Did, right. did, is it me or was it much more mushy when the Lieutenant governor was talking? Yeah, about I it? think so. It just seemed kind of like a little bit of cheerleading at, at the time. I think when he, when he first said it, but you know, it, it was interesting when, when DeWine talked to Doug, he kind of acknowledged that people no no longer have a tolerance for these orders and and they wouldn't be as accepting as they were, you know, in February or March. So this, you know, so the best way to do this is to get people to understand, you know, there's as I said this common cause and uh, that that people can unite behind. Yeah. It's wow. so not public education. <laughs> I'm sorry, Chris Wernowski, what? <laughs> I said, so not public education, though, right? Uh, that's not something we can all get behind. But the thought is incentivize it. Make it a goodwill gesture. Make it something positive instead of 
beating people over the head. And, and this was, this is one of the better strategies I heard. So we'll see, I, you know, I, I, I'm still surprised that there's a chance that high school kids will play football. Cause I still cannot believe we're going to have schools be open. I just think that in the final analysis, the schools will stay closed because of how out of control things are. You've, you're seeing one place after another reverse their plans to open them. So I think Ohio probably will get in that line, but the idea that we might play, if you wear a mask, please wear a mask. Let's see if it works. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. While Ohio Governor Mike DeWine sits pat without making any bold moves to contain the coronavirus, what are some of the steps being taken by other states and nations to get this virus under control? Chris Ranowski, we had a couple of reporters do some fishing to see what are the more unusual steps being taken. We did this after we saw that Israel was closing down retail on weekends because they thought it was spreading uh, in stores. I I thought this was strange because it's just going to force people to go out there on the weeknights. And how does that solve a problem? But what did uh, what did Evan find as he explored what others are doing? Right. So Israel is trying to limit the spread by closing all non-essential business and tourist spots on the weekend. So, But we also found that Denmark is limiting the size of classrooms and has moved most of the school day outdoors, which I think would be some issues of maybe trying to do that here. UK, France, and the Netherlands, China, and India have all started using drones to monitor crowds which I don't think would fly here. Uh, <laughs> but hey, look, hey, they're snatching people off the Portland streets, so who knows what the heck would what would fly here anymore. South Korea is forcing anyone who visits the capital to download an app and self-report your symptoms every day. And that app also tracks a person's movements, which again, it would be a huge civil liberties hill to get over in this country. Um, And then stateside, um, places like Pennsylvania has imposed a statewide mask mandate and is encouraging businesses to allow employees to work at home as much as possible. They're trying to basically speed up, you know, a transition of of companies allowing people to work from home. Indiana put its economic reopening on pause, but still isn't requiring masks. uh, And Massachusetts is, is proposing reopening its schools in phases. Um, for in-person classes, another phase for online classes, and a third as kind of a hybrid approach for uh, both in-person and online. Um, And the state's teachers union has sort of countered with a a plan that's a little different, but um, adds an assessment period where they can kind of decide and look and see if it's actually being an effective way to learn. So there's a lot of different ideas out there. And, and, you know, each, each has its sort of plus, you know, pros and cons. I, you know, some of these things just don't seem doable stateside. I, you know, when you look at, you know, what these countries are doing as far as, uh, you know, monitoring, you know, individual citizens, that's, you know, that's going to raise yeah, some it's not gonna go. Somewhere in America is a school district that's going to be the first to open the buildings with the students to come back and everybody's going to be watching to see what happens. You, you're seeing districts postponing the start of school till after Labor Day in Ohio. You're seeing it happen more and more. I think Cleveland moved to September, and they're usually, you know, in a couple of weeks. And I think it's because everybody wants to see who the first one is 
and what happens. You know, if somebody opens their school, the kids all come back and they go two weeks without any kind of surge, everybody might breathe a sigh of relief and say, okay, let's bring the kids back. But if all of a sudden you see a bunch of people getting sick, which a bunch of health experts believe will happen, you could see a very quick change of heart uh, by by people. And I could even see Mike DeWine saying, yeah, we're not going to open the school buildings. Let's do it all um, uh, virtually. And he did tell people to prepare for that. Well, you know, nobody, I mean, nobody wants to be the person that sends kids and employee, you know, and teachers into harm's way. And I think you're right. I think there is kind of this almost like a game of chicken as to like, who's going to go first. Right. And, right. And, but, but also I think part of that is that, you know, there, the guidance has been a little lacking. And so, you know, there's a, there's a lot of scrambling going on as far as, you know, trying to figure out how to serve students with limited resources. You know, I mean, it's not like school funding is going up. So, you know, it's, it's like everything we do now where it's like, all right, figure out how to do this new thing with no money, uh, with no resources. And, uh, Hey, you know, do also do a great job, you know, make sure we've talked about this though, because, because there hasn't been clear direction and because everybody's been left to their own, they've had it planned for a bunch of different eventualities instead of saying at the outset, look, it's very unlikely we're going to be able to have kids back in school. Let's figure out the best practices that we can possibly do. So we don't have online learning that fails like it did in the spring when we had an emergency and let's be purposeful and methodical and do this right. We don't have that. We have chaos. We have every district doing it differently, changing on the dime, it seems. I mean, it seems like every day you read about another district that's changing its plans this late in the summer because of what you said. They just they haven't had a lot of direction. They don't have a lot of money. And we're playing with children's lives. I mean, this you keep reading the science that says, well, children don't spread it. But then, and we, you know, there was a study over the weekend that said children over 10 spread it just as easily and quickly as adults do. So, you know, most of the kids in school are over 10. That makes it a problem. Uh, we'll have to see what what uh, what happens. But but whoever's first that there you're will be watching because that experience will tell all you're listening to this week in the CLE. Did Ohio Governor Mike DeWine act to protect the power of his state health director after the legislature took steps to neutralize it because they so disliked the orders of Dr. Amy Acton before she resigned? Jane Cahoon, we all miss Amy Acton. She was a great presence, the science presence at Mike DeWine's briefings. The voice of reason seems to be missing now. But but Larry Householder and his crew really didn't like what she did and tried to neutralize her. What's the latest? Well, the latest is that Governor DeWine followed through and did exactly what he said he was going to do. And he vetoed this bill that the legislature passed that would decriminalize violations of health orders. It would make it like a, a minor a minor misdemeanor instead of a, a second degree misdemeanor with, with some jail time and a heavier fine. Uh, and as you said, this was a reaction to Amy Acton and her orders, and they didn't like it. Uh, but when the governor vetoed this, he he had to throw out the whole bill. He couldn't just like line item veto that part out. So the bill's original intent was to increase penalties for drug trafficking near treatment centers. So that that whole thing has been 
you know, nullified now, although, you know, the lawmakers could override it, but it, that's not looking so likely because when the Senate concurred on this bill, they, they had like 18 votes, I think, and you need a three fifths majority to, to override it. So, you know, the go- the governor was very clear on this, that it's important for the public health department to have the power to protect Ohioans against, you know, everything from E. coli to bioterrorism to a once in a century pandemic. And so he, he feels strongly about this. Well, and I had thought the Senate was going to be the reasonable body here because they had said when this started, you know, we need to take a look at how the health department is empowered because it goes back to the 1918 pandemic and we haven't looked at it closely in decades, which is which is legitimate. I mean, we should always be reviewing how government works and can it be better and what's the best way to move forward. So I was a little bit surprised that they actually agreed to this because this was the knee jerk Larry Householder reaction. Let's just shut it down. Let's not let her have the power. Let's let's let's, you know, act on on instinct instead of thoughtfulness. So even with DeWine threatening to veto it, I'm I'm a little bit surprised Larry Abhoff of the Senate didn't put a stop to it. But maybe now we'll we'll get to a more thoughtful. Well, well this was the um, the the less extreme of the measures that were proposed. I, I believe the House also enacted something that, you know, would um, where any health order that was issued would have to be reviewed by lawmakers for it to last longer than 14 days. And that one really would have clamped down on the health director's authority and the Senate wouldn't deal with that one. So they but, they did, you know, take a pass on that one. But there was a reason in the beginning why these penalties were made criminal, that, that it wasn't misdemeanors. So whatever that reason was, the, the legislatures of the past allowed this. So whatever the reason was, we should analyze it. We should think about it. Why, why should it be criminal versus misdemeanor? And nobody did that. This, you know, they just raced through to kind of stick it to DeWine and and then Amy Acton. So it, it didn't work. And, and like you said, they don't really have the votes to override the veto. They still have to deal with the, the drug thing, which was the original intent of the bill. Which Yeah, they, they might that. resurrect that part of it, I think, you know, try to pass that legislation without the, the poison pill. Okay. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Why is Cuyahoga County being so secretive about how it is handling the more than 2,500 complaints it has received, mostly about people not wearing masks on its coronavirus hotline? Chris Ranowski, we've talked about the impractical nature of this hotline that you can't possibly, despite promising to, investigate every mask complaint because if I'm in a grocery store and I see you not wearing a mask and I call the hotline to snitch on you, by the time somebody gets there, you're long gone and nobody knows who you are. But the county did say it was going to deal with each and every complaint, but they're not saying how they're doing so. What's going on here? This is a very uh, dog bites man kind of story. Uh, anytime, anytime we ask the county for something, it usually is a lot of teeth pulling involved in, in getting public records. But on Friday, they rolled out a map that showed some, some dated numbers of complaints that, that had been filed with the hotline and the website. Um, that where people can go and complain that, that people aren't wearing masks. And for the second day in a row, the county declined to provide 
um, how many of the more than 2,500 complaints it received as of Thursday had been responded to by uh, a county health official or somebody from the county sheriff's department. So, I mean, right now they're they're sort of taking the complaints and they're not really saying uh, what they're really doing with it. And and I don't know. I it it, it seems you know. I mean, again, we've talked about this many many times. I mean, it just it seems like an impractical sort of thing to say we're going to respond to all these things. Okay. So, so then admit that, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. We overspoke. We didn't realize we were going to get this many. And obviously if you look at the situation, we can't address all these. What we're going to do is look at establishments that have the most and go in and see if we can fix that, that, that if we get one or two stray complaints at at a grocery store out in Chagrin Falls, not going to do anything about it. But if we get 20 at Steelyard Commons, we're going to go down there. Do something. This is a high public interest thing. So address it. Be transparent. Talk to people about what you're doing instead of going your your automatic reflex these days, which is to be secretive. It, it just doesn't make sense to me. Come out. Talk about it. Like, I understand why they're collecting this information. And, and keep in mind, the 2500 number also includes repeat calls from the same business and prank calls, which they've received a number of, I'm sure. Um, but there is useful data in this. And I think it will, I think it will give the the county and, uh, and, you know, health officials a, a better idea of, of where positive cases are coming from. Like, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, bars and restaurants that have received citation. Well, you know, now you can see, you know, are there a lot of mass gatherings going on and stuff like that? I, I I have to imagine that enforcement is never the the thing at the front of their minds. I think there's a lot of again, sort of pretending, you know, that that we're going to come down hard on people about this as a sort of empty threat to to get people to comply. And then, you know, there's, there is useful data that I think they are calling from these calls though. I I have to imagine. You you don't know. We we're just, we're inferring deducing because they're not saying it's time to say, what are you finding? We're we're left to sit here and, and theorize about what they're doing with this information. And, and from the looks of it, they're putting out a pretty, useless map at the end of the week and right. telling us to go on our way. And I just, you know, I, I think when you're, you're taking in this information as a government entity, you have a responsibility to give it to the public and let us, let us see and let us interpret it and, and, and understand it ourselves. You're listening to this week in the CLE. Well, that'll do it for this episode with Chris and Jane back in the house. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Jane. Thanks to everybody who's listening this week in the CLE will return on Tuesday. 